Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Brown score! Logan Brown in his first game as a Blue. Bucks underneath the scrum and the Blues find it. Bortuzzo, he scores! Robert Bortuzzo. You know, I imagine somebody getting into their car this morning, afternoon, whatever it is, and they hear that return and Robert Bortuzzo goal, Logan Brown goal. That's right, the Blues won last night. (laughs) Blues are back in action. What's going on here? Nope, that is the sound of two new blues that have signed a contract extension with Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. No BK today, as I believe he is en route to St. Louis. He'll be back on the airwaves tomorrow, the day before the Blues return to the ice. Blues are officially back on the ice now as they have their first practice before their first game on Thursday. And they're doing so with a contract extension to Robert Bortuzzo and for Logan Brown. And let's start there. You get a two-year deal for Robert Bortuzzo at $1.9 million overall, so just under a million dollars per year. And then Logan Brown signs a one-year $750,000 contract extension. One-year, one-way contract for the Blues. It may not sound like much, T-Bone, but for me, Doug Armstrong crossed a couple of items off of his list that he was going to have to address in the offseason. And he basically makes this easier on the team to know that you have both of these weapons for you going into next season. Yeah, I thought Robert Bortuzzo was going to be a guy that they were going to have to bring back because he was a UFA at the end of the year. And honestly, I think he's been really good for the Blues this season. He's done a good job on the penalty kill. I think twice this year we've talked about Bortuzzo, especially the one early in the year where he was like blocking five shots with a broken stick on a five on three. So Robert Bortuzzo is a guy that I definitely thought they were going to bring back. I like the deal for Logan Brown, especially when my guy Ferrario tells me he's like a 40 goal scorer. Fifth best move by Doug Armstrong. uh, Yeah, in the last decade. Watch out. So I, I like both moves. And like I mentioned, I think the Bortuzzo one was kind of inevitable i thought they were going to try and bring him back the brown one surprised me a little bit just because he wasn't a guy i was even considering as an extension candidate heading into the all-star break but at least doug armstrong's kind of kicking the tires getting ahead of things for the 
upcoming offseason getting these two deals done. I, I like both of them. I think both are really good deals for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, and I mean, this to me, what you did, at least I'll, let's start on the offensive side. What you did was you locked up a guy who's going to be an unrest- or a restricted free agent next year in Logan Brown. And I understand Logan Brown wasn't going to be setting the world on fire in arbitration or going into the offseason and people are going to be sending him offer sheets. But what Doug Armstrong did was he basically just locked up the core that's in place right now and he just locked it up for one more year you have 10 guys under contract going into next season Tyler Bozak David Perron they're unrestricted free agents Clem Costin are restricted free agents that's your forward side basically the team you're looking at right now is the team that's going to be there for the Blues next season pending some type of trade and then on the defensive side you have five defensemen locked up depending on what happens with Marco Scandella a cheap price for Robert Bortuzzo who is a specialty player who can play the penalty kill who can play at five on five may not be eating the most minutes but more so than anything he was more of a locker room guy so to be able to lock those two pieces up and i understand this is easy this is easy tasks for doug armstrong to do in the offseason and i'm sure a lot of people are looking at the news and they're going what the hell these guys are getting extensions and not craig baruby but i think this was probably something that was probably already accomplished this past offseason and they just needed to get pen to paper with this time off and what i do love about this is you're also keeping the locker room intact and i think this plays more into robert portuzo than it does to logan brown t-bone but robert portuzo is a locker room guy you hear anybody talk about what he does off the ice on the ice he's always somebody you want to be around and for doug armstrong you're keeping that piece of the puzzle intact. You have to have a Robert Bortuzzo in the locker room for this team to succeed. And where this team is at defensively, where this team is at with personnel in terms of depth, I think it was crucial to make sure Robert Bortuzzo was here for at least the next couple of years. He's going to be 35 at the end of this contract. And he's going to be like the grandpa in the room, too. Well, he kind of, yeah, I guess he, he might will be, be the grandpa. Already. Uh, but no, yeah. Tyler I think Bozak's 35 right now, so. Oh, Glad you just called Tyler Bozak a grandpa. Sorry, Bozy. Jerk. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I think it's a good point brought up by you with Bortuzzo in the locker room. Uh, let's think back to when the Blues d- decided not to bring back Pat Maroon. And, you know, he was a locker room guy. And there were a couple years after the Blues won the Cup in 19 that we said they had, they had locker room guys. But just losing some of those pieces from that 19 Cup run, it just felt like not only, okay, did they lose some skilled players that were on the ice, but they lost some of the locker room guys as well. And we thought that maybe that played a key role into it. It's important to have those locker room guys because of just especially in a grind of a season going throughout the whole year and going through the COVID-19 pandemic, which I hate to bring it up, but you know, it's still a thing for mm-hmm. the St. Louis blues. I, I just love the fact that Robert Bortuzzo, he's kind of that old school defenseman that is just fun to watch on the ice for me. And you know what that gets me into here, Alex, bringing what? up Robert Bortuzzo and being on the ice. I think it's time to uh, guess the lines. If oh! you're feeling my vibes. Oh, oh, oh. Now this is this sucks because I I'm the only one that hasn't seen them. You've seen them, obviously, and I don't have BK to talk this through with. Oh, because that'll help. <laughs> hey, he's the hockey guy. Oh, Sometimes sorry. he gets things right. Sorry. Um Yikes. Okay, so if you're just joining us and you didn't hear the news today, 
We're going to talk about this in our next segment, but Scott Perunovich was placed on injured reserve and they recalled Dakota Joshua. I don't thank you for that ding, I guess. I just want to make, you know, you got that right. Okay. Yeah. So they've, they've brought up Dakota Joshua. So let's start on the defensive side. Nothing's going to change there. It's going to be Pareko Mikola. It's going to be Krug Falk and it's going to be Scandella Bortuzzo. He got it. Jordan Bennington's the number one goaltender with Ville Husso as the backup. Okay, to be fair, I have not seen the goaltending. Okay, situation. well, you're not going to know that but, either. But uh, we all know that. Was wrong. Okay. So, offensively, I think the fourth line stays intact. I think it'll be Costin, Bozak, and Sunquist, and Joshua will be the extra forward along with Logan Brown. Okay. Process of elimination here, T Bone on the line game. Now it's where it gets interesting. So it ended with Shen centering Saad and Perron. I don't know if that stays. Kairu, Thomas, and Tarasenko, I think, will stay intact. Is that the line that's going to be there? Thomas, wait, say Thomas, Kairu, Tarasenko? Well. Okay, so now we got six guys for two lines. Um, I'm going to say Buchnevich, O'Reilly, and Perron. And Shen, Shen Sad Barbashev. I'm going to change it up a little bit here. Those are my two lines there. Getting a little frisky on a Tuesday. Yeah, are we're we? trying. You shouldn't. You shouldn't have done. <laughs> See, this is what I was worried about because I don't know where you go with this one. Um, and do you take Shen off the center and put him back on the wing because that worked so well? They ended it with Barbashev, O'Reilly, and Buchnevich, and that that worked but they really didn't generate a whole lot of offense. What about Shen O'Reilly Buchnevich? All right, we got this now. So Barbashev in the middle with Saad and Perron on the wings. Bang! He got Look it. at me go. Wow. <sighs> Only you, got one wrong. You give me 10 days off, I'm going to find a way to get these lines done. Are, so you a little surprised to see Shen go back on the wing? I am, but... The way that they ended, they really weren't generating offense. Like, let's not remember. Forget, they lost to Winnipeg by scoring, what was it, one goal? They lost one goal three and they to had one? two shots in the second and period. And you scored, so you beat Calgary, but then you only scored a goal against the Calgary Flames on the road. I think they worked better when it was Shen, O'Reilly, and Barbashev. I'm a little surprised that Buchnevich is still on that wing, but you got to have somebody who can center that that third line. So again, if you missed it, Shannon O'Reilly, Buchnevich, Kairu Thomas, Tarasenko, Saad Barbashev, Peron, Kostin Bozak, Sunquist. That's your forward lines at practice, according to Jeremy Rutherford. Mikola with Pareko, Krug with Falk, Scandella with Bortuzzo, Bennington and Huso are your goaltenders. One more thing I wanted to touch on before we get into Scott Perunovich, and it, it, it's. It's guys like Robert Bortuzzo, and I ask myself, are they still crucial to teams winning a Stanley Cup? Because if you look back on on teams that won the Cup, Tampa the last two years, who did they have? Well, they had Pat Maroon. They had Luke Shen. They had those locker room guys who play the old school brand of hockey. Look, when the Blues won, they had the Pat Maroons, Robert Bortuzzo's, Joel Edmondson's. And Bortuzzo had a, a cut talking about the physicality that he provides to his team. And I remember him talking about this. This was after that Nashville Predators game where he got into a fight, was playing real physical, and Luke Korak asked him afterwards if that physicality is a opportunity to get his team motivated. Listen up. Just trying to be physical on some of their top players, you know, and that's going to elicit a response in them. And 
Uh, it's a bit of a snowball effect. You, you drag guys into the game. Um, sometimes it's a fight, a hit, um, a block. It's anytime you can it, it drag uh, your team into a game with a lot more intensity and passion, I think works in our favor. You know, we've got a lot of gamers on our team and they responded and, you know, I think that that serves our team really well when the intensity and passion of the game elevates. So I think it's crucial to have guys like this. You got to have somebody who can still have that old school mentality. It's what Alexander Steen was at the tail end of his contract. He was that old school mentality type of player, but on the defensive side, you have a lot of fast players, Tori Krug, Justin Falk. You have some young guys in Nico Mikola, Scott Perunovic. But you need to have that old school mentality of blocking shots, throwing your body around, not afraid to drop the gloves. Because if you don't have Robert Portuzo, you lose some toughness in this lineup. And I think players like that are crucial if you want to win a Stanley Cup. And that's why I think locking him up, it may not sound like a lot because I know he's the sixth defenseman on the third pair and he's playing 14, 15 minutes of ice time. But you got to have guys like that to keep a Stanley Cup window open. Yeah, we always talk about kind of setting a tone in a series, and Robert Portuzzo is a guy that could do that for you in the playoffs, and he can do it in a regular season by blocking shots. As you mentioned, throwing the body around, playing that physical brand of hockey, and that's the style that Craig Berube wants to play. So he fits in perfectly to the system. Again, I thought this was a deal that they were going to get done in the offseason. I'm glad to see them kind of just check it off of the bucket list so it's one less thing to worry about for Doug Armstrong in the offseason. And I think the two-year deal is just a great deal. I've always been a fan of Robert Bortuzzo since they acquired him in 2015 from the Pittsburgh Penguins, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so Robert Bortuzzo gets a two-year contract extension for 950000 per year, kicks in next year and then Logan Brown gets a one-year one-way contract as well for $750,000. Blues are on the ice today in practice. We'll have Jeremy Rutherford joining us in studio around the 12 o'clock hour. We're also going to talk with Dan McLaughlin today. We got Jared Diamond on the baseball side. Plenty of hockey conversations along the way as well. Coming up in 15 minutes, where will Joe Burrow rank among quarterbacks if he pulls off a Super Bowl victory this weekend? We'll talk about that, but coming up next, Scott Perunovich is headed to the injured reserve list. What does that mean for his future, and what does that mean for the Blues come trade deadline time? T-Bone and I will discuss that next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN 1120. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So among the news for the Blues earlier this morning with Robert Bortuzzo signing a contract extension for two years, along with Logan Brown signing a one-year contract, Fifth best move by Doug Armstrong, T-Bone. Make sure you mark that down in the last 10 years. Fortuzo? Yeah, nope. I agree. Well, no, he was he oh. was uh, a while over 10 years ago. Oh, Scott bad. Perunovic was uh, placed on the injured reserve today, and Scott Perunovic has not played a game since January 5th, where he was placed on the COVID list. He returned, I think he played partial game, something like that. But regardless, he's only played 19 games this season for the Blues. When they brought him up for Springfield, he was dominating the minors. He comes up, jumps into play, looks good, picks up a couple of assists, but may not be the guy that everyone was expecting the Hobie Baker Award to step in and light the world on fire with the Blues. But now we've gone, 
exactly a month, a little over a month with no Scott Perunovich in the lineup. And it's been COVID. It's been injury. We all know last year he dealt with the injury, hasn't played consistent hockey since the 2019-2020 season. And this is interesting, T-Bone, because with Scott Perunovich, you've seen him in the NHL. Other teams have seen him in the NHL. Now he's labeled as injury risk for a couple of seasons for his smaller stature defenseman. And this is the guy that everyone is talking about being the centerpiece in a trade if the Blues want to go big for a Jacob Chikrin. Now, Doug Armstrong views it a little bit differently. Doug Armstrong to the post-dispatch. Scott Perunovich is still someone that I'm really excited about, but with the injury, the COVID situation, we're still working with him. And again, it's almost like you go back to the Thomas and Kairou thing. Everyone wants the finished product quickly. I know it's going to take a little bit of time with Perunovich, just from coming where he came from and not playing a lot of hockey, but I really like the upside there. So I guess the question is, what does the future hold for Scott Perunovich? Because I don't know if he is the trade chip that everyone thinks he is. But I also don't know if he's the top four defenseman and an answer for you. And if he's not a top four defenseman and Nico Mikola is, does Scott Perunovich make sense in your bottom pairing moving forward? Yeah, the future for Scott Perunovich. And I I think the biggest hit that this took for the St. Louis Blues was the fact of the matter that, you know, like you mentioned, he was kind of that key piece that everybody had been talking about for a trade piece in a Chikrin deal or a Sherratt deal was, okay, well, you've got someone that's kind of like what Pernovich projects to be in Tory Krug, so maybe he becomes a guy that you're willing to part with. But because he's had back-to-back injury seasons, he's injured currently, I don't know if you can look at him as being the trade centerpiece this season. Maybe he is next year. Maybe the Blues do view him still as a guy that could be a top-four defenseman for them. I, I don't know. His future has become – I still think he's going to be a good player. Don't don't get me wrong there. I mean, the way he was tearing up the AHL, I think at some point it's going to translate. And in that quote you just read, I, I think it's a good point by Doug Armstrong – you know, forwards like Kairou and Thomas have taken time to develop too. So be be uh, patient when it comes to waiting for what is this the Scott Cardinals Pernovich. front office? Yeah, what, be are we patient. Being patient right now. Yeah, if you weren't patient, you would have dealt Thomas and Kairou. And now look at what we're talking about. I would have never done something like that. You know better than that. And I do think there is there's a level of patience that needs to be there for Scott Perunovich. And we got a text on the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero from the three one four. Perunovich may be a good p- player, but currently he's a liability on defense. He seems to be getting pushed around easily. I didn't think he was that big of a problem on the defensive side. Like I'm not going to put him in a liability conversation the same as Marco Scandella has been. And the upside for Scott Perunovich isn't his defense. The upside for Perunovich is the offense. The upside for him is the Hobie Baker award who had 40 points in 34 games in his final year of college. It's 20 points in 12 games in the American Hockey League. When he was recalled, he was the number one point producer in the American Hockey League. That's the upside. But the biggest thing we've spent so much time talking about this season is, well, the Blues may be fine offensively on their defensive side, but they need more defense. And that's where I don't know where Scott Perunovich plays into this. And I don't think he's the number one trade piece for the Blues like fans think he is. Yeah, there's probably still a lot of upside for a 23-year-old who was a Hobie Baker award winner. But it's not like you're calling up Arizona with Scott Perunovich, who's played a total of 19 games in his last two seasons or 31 games if you're going to add in the American Hockey League and say, OK, we'll give you Perunovich for Chikrin. That's not how it's going to go anymore. So I wonder if Perunovich comes becomes a piece for Doug Armstrong and company that says we're going to we're going to keep the faith that he turns into something big for us on the defensive side. 
But then where does that go on the trade piece? And Jamie Rivers said something on the fast lane earlier today that I, or yesterday that I found interesting because Perunovic is that offensive defenseman. And we've been talking about the defensive defenseman who can play with Colton Pareko. But Jamie had a different idea. Yeah, they still do, in my opinion, need that top four guy. But that top four defenseman coming in, he's not just going to be a defensive guy, in my opinion. I think Craig Berube, the more and more I think about it and the more I look at the chemical or the the makeup of this team, I think it's going to be somebody who can join the attack, who can add offense. So him saying that, and I'm with him. I mean, the identity of this team has shifted. It's no more the playing your own zone. It's move forward. We've talked about this. That's not how they're winning the cup like they did previous years this is the identity of this team now speed char is not that guy giordano in my opinion isn't that guy i think scott mayfield could be i think ryan graves definitely is graves i know graves i'm just saying he's a name out there i'm not the only one that's brought his name up hint hint joe vitale matt larkin um some of the guys ben sherratt's not that guy like some of the guys that have been labeled and connected to the blues they're not the offensive guys who jump up into the rush. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you do need somebody who can protect Colton Pareko a little bit. But that's what's so interesting about Scott Perunovic, because that offensive upside may not be there this year. Maybe next year it will be. But this year, if you're looking for a guy to upgrade your top four that's not Nico Mikola, are you going strictly defense? Or are you looking a little bit more of an offensive side with this? Yeah, and, you know, I think the text line here brings up a good point from the 314. You know, where does he slot into the lineup long term? That's what we're discussing here. But it doesn't seem like he's be the guy that would pair up with 55, Preko. And that's Perunovic. That's the guy that you brought up. That's that's where I think a guy like Chikrin that you just mentioned is he could be a guy that could kind of come in and fit in here. You mentioned Graves, the guy that you've fallen in love with on the market. He's still, guys, not, he's still not on Alexiak level for me, but he's oh, up there. He's close? He's, he's like there. second. Yeah, he's not the Mongoon that we all want. Well... We may not get a Mongoon unless you go get Chara. But what, offensively, I, if you're going to go look for the, the, those kind of guys defensively, I think Chikrin's the guy. And I, I brought this up. I think it's going to be Chikrin or Sherratt. I, I think those are the two guys that the Blues are going to acquire. I think it's going to be one of them. But see, that's what's so interesting. Because if you're going to go get Chikrin, he's going to be here for the next three years after this year. I don't have a problem with that. But that's where it comes down where to. Does Scott per- exactly. the, where does Scott Perunovic play into this And one? that's where I thought Perunovic was going to be a centerpiece in this deal. Maybe not the centerpiece, but a piece of this deal. You know, maybe it is the Borduk Perunovic, I don't know, cost and two first-round picks. Something along those lines. I don't That may be too steep. There yeah. may be very little. But I, I think that the injuries with Scott Perunovich, and I saw the text, for, I think it's from the 618. Oh, he's played 20 games. We're already going to give up on him. No, we're not giving up yeah. on when him. Did but we, when did we say we were giving up we, on him? He was viewed as one of the trade pieces for the Blues, and his trade value has gone down significantly because of back to back injury seasons. He could still be a guy that develops into a Tory Krug, which I think the Blues pretty much thought he could be. The problem is, is the injuries, and the injury concerns are always going to devalue a trade asset. So the Blues now, I think, can remove him off of the trading. Board, uh-huh. And I think that they are going to hold on to him, as you said. But I do wonder if he becomes a trade piece maybe next season, because well, I just don't know where he projects in this lineup in the future. And that's where I'm at with this. And that's why I bring this up, because what's interesting is I, I don't know if Scott Perunovich is the trade piece anymore. If they're going to stick with a guy like this and hope he turns into that offensive minded defenseman who can play with Colton Pareko, because there's nothing saying he can play in a top pair with Colton Pareko in the future. I mean, Tori Krug did that with a couple of big guys in Boston, and they project to kind of have the same outlook in terms of their style if you're holding on to Scott Perunovich 
then maybe you don't have to go all in at the trade deadline for a Jacob Chikrin. Maybe you can go get a Zidane Chara and this year bring somebody in who can match the identity of the team this year. And he's the rental piece so that next season, Nico Mikula has that opportunity to be in your top four or Scott Perunovich has the opportunity to play in your Scott in your top four. It, because if you're looking for that offensive guy who can jump up into the rush, that seems like it's Scott Perunovich. But the question is, how much do you want to go all in this year for a Stanley Cup? Yeah, and, and I believe that you do go all in. So I, I just look at it as, you know, with you being so deep, you go, then you can kind of figure it out from there. I, I just have trouble picturing Scott Perunovich in the future with Colton Braco. I mean, you mentioned that possibility. I just... I have trouble seeing it, but then again, I also have it. If you know the text mentioned the text line three or four mentioned, well, Falcon and Kruger probably locked up as your number two pairing. I mean, both guys are under contract. If I'm not mistaken, they both run through pretty much the exact same uh, time on their deals as well. I look at it as does Scott Pernovich pair with Colton Pareko? Maybe, but I have a hard time seeing it now. Maybe that changes next season. And then does he pair with a Robert Bortuzzo who's here for another two years and is going to be that sixth defenseman for you? I don't know. I can't really picture him fitting in well with Robert Bortuzzo as well. And that's where so. he was playing for a while in those 19 games. He was playing on that bottom pairing. And that's what's so frustrating about the injury at this time is I would imagine if he would have been healthy after this break, probably would have seen him playing with Robert Bortuzzo and Marco Scandella might have been a, a healthy scratch for some games. So I, I don't know. It's an interesting one. And, and we'll uh, we'll talk this over with Jeremy Rutherford, who's going to join us in the 12 o'clock hour here in studio and get his thoughts on what the outlook is for Scott Perunovich. But if you've got more questions on that, you can send them over on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We've got questions and answers coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, where will Joe Burrow rank? among quarterbacks in the NFL if he pulls off a Super Bowl victory this Sunday. We'll discuss that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Burrow looks, floats, left side, Jamar Chase, touchdown, Cincinnati. What could have been the former potential left tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. Instead, it was a number one wide receiver. But the topic this weekend at Super Bowl Sunday is going to be Joe Burrow and what he has done with the Cincinnati Bengals. And with Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is B-King and Ferrario. Let's go Tammy. Tammy Hendrickson. Sometimes you you can be like that. Old boss used to be Tammy. PK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So with this matchup on Sunday, Tebow, we find ourselves asking the question about Joe Burrow. And if he pulls off this upset, which, by the way, uh, Madden did their simulation of the Super Bowl matchup. Rams, Rams, And the Bengals pulled out the victory. And Joe Burrow was the MVP. Shocker. So maybe this is a uh, maybe this is an outlook coming for Sunday. Where would Joe Burrow rank for you among quarterbacks in the NFL if he pulls off this victory? Because I think it's pretty simple that Patrick Mahomes is still the number one in a lot of people's eyes. Um, I, I would hear the argument, but it's probably a tie between Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen for that second spot. But is Joe Burrow up there in that conversation if he pulls this off to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl in less than two years? Yeah, I, I think you have to put him... In my opinion, if he wins the Super Bowl, I would probably put him at three. I would put him behind 
Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, and that would probably be it. And he would, in my opinion, he would be slightly ahead of Josh Allen just because he's gotten to the big game and he's won the Super Bowl because Josh Allen was incredible in that Chiefs game. And I think he eliminated all the question marks surrounding him heading into next season. But without him having that Super Bowl championship, I think it's just kind of hard for me to throw him ahead of Joe Burrow. And I get it. That's kind of going into the, oh, are we really going to judge the guy by championships? Uh, I mean, to be fair, Josh Allen's had two good years. Burrow's just had the one. So there's not a big separation gap like there is with Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, who have been in the league much longer than him. So I think if Joe Burrow is able to win the Super Bowl, I think he ought to, I think in my opinion, he's going to be number three for me. If he loses the Super Bowl, he probably sits at number four four for me I think just I think if he loses the Super Bowl he's going to drop just behind Josh Allen really so you drop him down if he loses the Super Bowl yeah just just because I think if he's able to go out there and showcase himself on the big stage at the Super Bowl plays really well then I think you have to look at him as being a guy that okay he's been at the biggest level he's been at the biggest game and he was able to win win a Super Bowl with his team, which doesn't have an offensive line to save his life, against the Rams front seven and Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd. So yeah, I think if he's able to win the Super Bowl, if he plays well, which is the the big if, if he throws for like a hundred yards and they win because their defense or their running game, then of course the conversation changes. But I don't expect that to be the case. I expect him to be a big part of them winning then to me, he's number three, right right behind Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, see, for some reason, I think win or lose, he's going to be top five. I would have him at fourth, win or lose. Mahomes is still the number one, in my opinion. I would have Josh Allen number two over Aaron Rodgers, just from what we've seen in the short amount of time. I mean, it's just a matter of time before this guy pulls off a Super Bowl win, and I would... Maybe I'm the crazy one with this, but I would wage a bet that he wins more Super Bowls than what Aaron Rodgers has won in his career, probably gets two more Super Bowls than what Aaron Rodgers has in his career, being Josh Allen. And then the conversation comes into Joe Burrow or Aaron Rodgers. And I think you'd be insane not to pick Aaron Rodgers over Joe Burrow. But what I've already seen from from Burrow's short time in the NFL, I mean, this was a guy who came in last year to a Cincinnati Bengals team that won a total of eight games over the previous two years. They were 2-14 and 14 when they drafted Joe Burrow. I understand they were 4-11-1 in his first year, but he played 10 games before he was out with an injury, and I believe they had close to a 500 record before he went out with that ACL injury. So you already took a team from 2-14 and 14 that really, they didn't have Jamar Chase. You had some weapons, but the offensive line was still terrible. And you transitioned them into a team that looked like they were trending in the right direction. And then he comes in the next year. And I know that the record wasn't overwhelming, but they finished first in their division. He wins 10 games and he gets them to a Super Bowl. Like that is the actual trend you want compared to what Josh Allen did, where it was, you don't make the playoffs. You get into a wild card, you lose the wild card. Then you get to the AFC championship and you lose that. And then you get to the second round and you lose that. Like Josh Allen's trending, but Joe Burrow's trending faster. Yeah, Joe Burrow, and I think part of it, too, is a little bit of circumstance because I think if we flip Cincinnati and Buffalo, we're talking about Buffalo potentially being in the Super Bowl because they ran into Kansas City when Kansas City didn't have Mahomes have the terrible second half that he did in the AFC Championship game. They ended up beating him in the second round when Patrick Mahomes was just unbelievable, and then they lost a coin toss and it determined their fate. So 
I, I think that the conversation there could flip. I, I just look at Joe Burrow. I, I don't think he can get to Aaron Rodgers' this level yet because Aaron Rodgers could win the MVP again this year because of how good he was. And I don't know if you can catch Mahomes, even though he has beaten Mahomes twice. I think he's 2-0 and against Mahomes. I don't think he played him in a couple games in his first rookie year. So he is 2-0 and against Mahomes. But again, Mahomes has the track longer track record. And to me, Josh Allen, he's been there, but he doesn't have like 15 years. He doesn't have like five years as Mahomes does. He He's close, but there was always question marks with Josh Allen, and he didn't really answer them until this year. Patrick Mahomes has never really had question marks. In fact, question marks didn't emerge until this year with Patrick Mahomes, and even then, you, you weren't looking at those going, uh, oh boy, Patrick Mahomes had all these question marks. It was, eh, you know what, he'll figure it out. What's interesting about this is if Joe Burrow wins it, people are going to be talking about him. Even if he loses it, I think people are still going to be talking about his trend in the right direction. But what about Matthew Stafford? Because I think even if Matthew Stafford wins the Super Bowl, he's still not going to be viewed as one of the top quarterbacks like Joe Burrow will win or lose. Am I am I mistaken there? No, I don't th- I don't know where he would place if he wins a Super Bowl. I feel like he'd be top half of the NFL. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, he's in the top tier. I Well, not the top tier. He's top like 10. He's top 15 right now. But, like, does that really change that much if he wins a Super Bowl? I, I don't think so because there'll be some well, – maybe a little bit just because he'll have that monkey off his back of, well, he can't win with a team. Remember, that was the big thing coming from Detroit was, oh, was Detroit losing games because of Stafford or was Stafford just in a bad situation? And – now he's kind of knocked the monkey off his back, and he's beaten Tom Brady in the playoffs, and he was able to, this is going to sound weird, but conquer the 49ers, who he's 0-2 against in the regular season. That's right. That is such a uh, tough feat to conquer, Jimmy Garoppolo. So I, I think that he can, I, I just don't know if you view him as a top-five quarterback, even if he wins a Super Bowl, because I think you'll look at the younger quarterbacks and say they still have more upside compared to Matthew Stafford, who's mm-hmm. older. I think he'll be just outside the top five, even if he wins a Super Bowl. And I think it's probably a little unfair, but I I, I just think there's enough weapons around him that you kind of look at him just a little, little bit differently, considering you've seen him when he didn't have weapons you know what's crazy? in Detroit. You know what's crazy about this? He wins a Super Bowl, Matthew Stafford. I, I think without question, he's the number one quarterback in the in the NFC. Right. I mean, I I don't know who would be considered over him other than Aaron Rodgers. But if you put him in the AFC, he's still fourth or fifth. Stafford. Stafford. He's probably below because he'd be below Mahomes, Allen and Burrow. And then I would imagine somebody's going to put Herbert would be Herbert in and Lamar Jackson. With yeah. That's what's insane. And that just, I guess, goes to show you the difference in conferences right now because he wins a Super Bowl. Stafford's probably the tied for first or second best quarterback in the NFC, but he wins it. He's still going to be ranked below at least five quarterbacks. Yeah. I, Matthew Stafford, you just, you see some of the tools, but you don't see the athleticism. Like when we talk about. Joe Burrow, we talk about Justin Herbert. Those guys can run the football. You look at them, they're young. They have the upside potential. I mean, that's why we talk about the AFC being loaded for the next five years is those five guys that we just mentioned. You've got Burrow, you've got Allen, you've got Mahomes, Jackson. Who's the one I just forgot in that category? Herbert, Herbert thank you. So you've got those five guys. So to me, Matthew Stafford, I, I still think he's kind of that second tier of quarterback that's just happened to be on a really good team that is loaded and that's the question we got a lot yesterday was how good is Matthew Stafford considering he has all those weapons I saw our Kirk Cousins guy that likes to text in all the time brought it up you know you kept calling him mediocre yesterday can you blame him well I mean you put Kirk Cousins on this team he probably has the same results as Matthew Stafford so like I I just view him as a 
second-tier quarterback that has a, a team that is just really loaded around What's him. interesting about this, and, and, and we'll, we'll break after this and get to our questions and answers, but what's interesting is you take Cooper Cup off of the Rams, would they be considered favorites? I don't think so. You take Jamar Chase off of the Bengals, I don't know how much of a drop-off they have. See, I think Chase is a bigger loss than... Cup? Yeah. See, well, who... I mean, I guess they, they still Odell, have OBJ, but... And Odell's playing like his former, like himself. But is OBJ playing like himself because they have Cooper Cup? I don't think so, because I think he's looked really good since he signed with L.A. I think he's not all the way back to when he was in his prime with the Giants, but he's pretty dang close. Yeah. I mean, he's been really good since he's came to L.A. So I think the bigger loss would be Chase because there's the bigger drop-off behind him, in my opinion, and I get it. They've got uh, Higgins. But I don't think Higgins is on the same level as, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think he's on the same level as an OBJ. Yeah. He's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Super Bowl on a Sunday, Bengals and Rams. Big game. And you're going to get to hear that game here on 101 ESPN. Let's go Rams. Pre-game at 1 o'clock. I know you'll be listening here on 101 ESPN, T-Bone. I will be. Coming up in 15 minutes, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal is going to join us to uh, try and break down these lockout negotiations between MLB and the Players Association. But coming up next, send your questions to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll get to questions and answers next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal coming up in our next segment to uh, talk Major League Baseball. And hopefully it's, uh, what is it, T-Bone? Sunshine and lollipops? Yeah. Mm, probably not. They're in Florida. Maybe BK walked into uh, their the, the owner's meeting and tried to get some stuff done. That's not encouraging either. <laughs> but we're going to get to questions and answers now. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Uh, I need an answer on this from our text line. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. T-Bone and I were having a heated debate there in the break. You we take were? Cup and Chase oh. off of both teams. Who's got the better weapons? Take the tight ends and running backs out of this. Strictly wide receivers. You take Cup off of the Rams, Chase off of the Bengals. Who has better weapons? I still say Rams. I see. I think it's Cincinnati. I think Beckham is exposed as the number one guy, and I don't know if he is the same same player without Cooper Cup. Whereas if you take Chase off, you got Boyd and Higgins, who are still legitimate number ones for Cincinnati. I just think Odell's just honestly better than both of those guys combined. Like I, I get a lot of people are saying he's benefiting from coming here to LA and having Cup alongside him. He's looked really good, and maybe that is maybe it is a part of the cup factor. But I don't know, man. I I think he could he could be a one man wrecking crew if he were to not have Cup alongside him. Let's get to this one from the three one four. Hey guys, if you were betting men, which we all are, all on DraftKings, by the way, which defenseman will Army go out and get before the trade deadline? We've talked so much about this. We've brought everyone's name up. Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us next hour in studio. He said in his bold predictions for the second half that Army's going to go out and get Zdeno Chara. Jamie Rivers has talked about Zdeno Chara. We've talked about Zdeno Chara. 
I think he would be the most likely one if he would be willing to move away from the Eastern Conference, which has been kind of his big dilemma. He didn't want to step away from the East Coast where his family's at. But if it's not Zdeno Chara, I wouldn't overlook a couple of the names that we've discussed in terms of Scott Mayfield and Ryan Graves. But if I had to put money down, I would say Zdeno Chara would be the number one. If I had to put money down, I think I would put it on either Jacob Chikrin or Ben Sherratt. They Those two are the only guys that I've seen the Blues have scouted. Now, it's it's more than likely they've scouted other defensemen. But those are the two that I've seen the scouts connected to in reporting and linking them to watching Montreal and Arizona Coyote games, which feel bad for the scouts that had to go watch both those teams play. But Woof. my money would be on... I think if I had to just pick one, I would probably go Ben Sherrod. I, I just think Jacob yeah. Chickren's probably going to be too pricey for the St. Louis Blues because we've talked about it. Is this year they go all in? I think it should be, but are you really going to want to salvage the farm and give up like two first-round picks to go get a guy? Sure, he has multiple years left on his deal, but do you really want to go do that when you think you can go get more of a rental like a Giordano Chara or even a Ben Sherrod? I, I, if I had to put money down, I would put it on Ben Sherrod. Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for questions and answers. Boys, do you see a possibility of Tom Brady coming out of retirement? Now, T-Bone, you sent us this text yesterday in our group text that basically Tom Brady insinuated that Tommy boy's pulling a Brent Favre. Retirement doesn't have to be long-term. This is the quote. You never say never. At the same time, I feel very good about my decision. I don't know how I'll feel in six months from now. I could see him coming out of retirement like Tom Brady sitting at home, hearing everyone talking about Patrick Mahomes as the next Tom Brady or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow as the next Tom Brady. You know, that's not going to sit well for him. Like Michael Jordan esque is going to come back and he's going to say, I need to go somewhere else and prove that I'm still the guy and I've still got it. I just don't know who that team would be because there's not a lot of teams that are set up like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where they just need a quarterback that has all of the weapons that Tom Brady did in Tampa. Yeah, I could see him coming back. I I don't know where I would put it percentage-wise. Maybe like 50-50 is about where I am. But, I mean, it's not like he retired, and I hate to – because Peyton Manning was one of my favorite quarterbacks growing up. But it's not like he retired the way Peyton Manning did, where you could see the tea leaves coming. You know, the arm strength was coming down. His numbers were going down statistically. Guys, Tom Brady could win another freaking MVP. I mean, he was incredible again this year. He was close to it this year. I think since he was playing well, I think it's possible he could get that itch again, especially when we get to training camp and things get back up and going. Maybe it isn't he comes back this year, but it could be one of those where it's like, okay, I saw the game. I still really want to play. I still think I can prove something. Then maybe he comes back. He does seem to have that kind of mentality. Are the Niners the best case scenario for him? Like if Trey Lance, if they move Jimmy G and Trey Lance doesn't work out, do the Niners try and get him? I don't know because... Weren't, did, they didn't want him this pass off or when he was coming yeah. as a free agent because they had Jimmy G, which now they're trading <laughs> Jimmy G. I just I don't know if there's a right fit for Tom Brady. Yeah, I don't know if there's really a roster that I look at that has. That would be the closest comp to it because he's got all of the weapons there for him ready to go. Yeah, San Francisco's a good one. Honestly, if I were Arizona, I'd be willing to move on from Kyler. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good one. Especially because he unfollowed us on Twitter. Well, Awkward. he didn't unfollow us. We're not friends. Oh, sorry. He unfollowed the, the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I, other than that, I'm trying to think anybody else that has weapons. Tampa Bay could still be a possibility, but 
he retired while with them, so I don't know if he'd come back and play for them. Other than that, I don't really know of... I can't think of anybody else that I would say, you know what, they've got the loaded weapons to where I can confidently say, yeah, if he went there... Well, I mean, hell, if he went anywhere, they'd be a good team. Eh, but. I don't know about that. Oh. Put him on Jacksonville. Let's see. Let's they see would how win we more feel. than with Lawrence this uh, past year. I don't know about that. Tom Brady would have fired Lawrence Urban wasn't the problem. Or Urban Meyer was the problem with that one. Uh, let's do one more before we get to, to Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, from the 618, fellas, what do you think happens with David Perron next season? This will be interesting to ask JR because Logan Brown getting that extension to me signifies he's not going to be playing on the bottom line for you because if that's the case, he'd be playing right now. And they basically said he's not a bottom line forward for us. We see him as a top nine. Does does Logan Brown's one-year, one-way contracts mean the end for David Perron? I don't think so. I think if you can lock him up for a team-friendly deal, you'd get him done. But that, that roster spot, those roster spots are starting to get pretty full. And David Perron and Tyler Bozak being the only unrestricted free agents, I where he falls into place next season. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you because, it, like you said, if he were a fourth liner, he'd be playing on the fourth line now. So they're playing Costin ahead of him. That could just be they're trying to showcase Clem Costin as trade bait possibly and just to see what they have in him if he is going to be back next year. I, I do think Logan Brown, the signing was kind of the, I don't want to say, like you said, it's not the end of Dave Prawn because I think they'll still try to re-sign David Prawn, get a team-friendly deal with him. So I would say right now, yeah, Pran probably, I think he'll be back. I think it'll be a team-friendly deal. Two-year, two, $2 million dollar yeah, deal. Yeah, something like that. I, but I do think Logan Brown's extension was kind of the backup plan. If we can't bring back Pran, It's kind of like okay. the Justin Falk move. Yeah, Logan Brown, okay, he's going to slide into the top nine. Yeah. If Vladdy still wants out and we trade him, Logan Brown's our backup plan to slide into the top yeah, nine. Think I, I think it was a bad, I think it was more of an insurance signing than anything else. And they like him at the center position. And I mean, you got Shen playing a wing, Barbashev's playing center, at least from practice today, but you could always move those guys around. So that'll be interesting. And again, we'll discuss those topics with Jeremy Rutherford, who's going to join us in studio uh, in the upcoming hour. But coming up next, Jared Diamond, Wall Street Journal. He covers Major League Baseball. We're going to get his thoughts on the ongoing uh, negotiations in the lockout in Major League baseball that's next here on bk and ferrario on 101 espm we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Bob Nightingale about six minutes ago says the owners have their quarterly Major League Baseball meetings beginning today in Orlando. Rob Manfred is scheduled to speak on Thursday and the Players Association executives are traveling to Florida and Arizona to meet with the players. So as we know, these negotiations continue to be up and down peaks and valley. And to talk about it, we welcome in Jared Diamond, who covers Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. Jared, thank you so much for taking some time out today. And uh, from your impression where do things stand right now between mlb and the players association yeah i think you're being very generous by saying there's been peaks and valleys i, I haven't seen any peaks during this <laughs> process it has been uh just sort of a straight line down it has been really i i knew it was going to be bad it has been even worse than i ever could have imagined uh you know it's february 8th spring training is supposed to start in less than a week that's certainly not going to happen. And I imagine in a couple of days that will be officially announced. 
And honestly, at this point, I find it hard to imagine opening day will happen on March 31st as well. I hope I'm wrong. It's not beyond the realm of possibility, but they are so far apart on just about every single issue. And, you know, look, again, we're having a week here where they're probably not even going to meet, which tells you all you need to know about sort of the urgency everyone is feeling considering they're not even going to the table probably all this week. And so they're sort of just retrenching and talking among themselves. Well, and those valleys have seemed to turn into like the Grand Canyon here, uh, Jared, because one, you have the federal mediator who was requested by the owner side and the players frustrated with that one. But where I really felt like we hit rock bottom were when the players started to take the social media because it has been somewhat out of the media in terms of players frustration with these ongoing negotiations. Now that it's gotten out, that's where I feel like it really made a turn for the worse. Yeah, no, no question about it. That was sort of when the gloves came off. You know, if there's anything nice I could say about how this has gone is that they've generally been able to keep their frustrations out of the public. It's been much more of a private in-house than, say, the negotiation in 2020, which was extremely public. And there were leaks every single day about what was being proposed and, and how they felt about one another. This time they've done a pretty good job of sort of keeping it uh, at the table uh, until the other day when suddenly there were statements released by both sides, you know, players going on Twitter and expressing their frustration. That felt like a turning point in the negotiation, not a positive turning point, a negative turning point where suddenly uh, everyone is sort of venting their feelings out in the open, which generally is not a, a good place to be when you're trying to make a deal. Jared, you mentioned the play, the players going on social media, some of them going after the commissioner, Rob Manfred, and a lot of our text line here in the studio, every time we talk about the Major League Baseball lockout and trying to provide an update to it, a lot of people seem to be blaming the commissioner, Rob Manfred. How much blame of this lockout is on him? Look, it was the owner's decision to initiate this lockout, right? And Rob Manfred does represent the owners. He is sort of the chief of the owners and they decided to, you know, I, I would imagine with Rob Manfred's blessing to go ahead with this lockout when they did, it was not required. I think that's sort of a very important point that always needs to be reiterated is that there does not need to be a lockout. There never needed to be a lockout. The CBA could have expired. They could have continued on as, uh, as if things were normal, the provision from the old CBA would have carried over while they negotiated a new one. And, Major League Baseball's owners and Rob Manford decided not to take that approach. Everyone's very nervous about the players potentially going on strike, which, of course, they did in 1994. And ever since then, no sports league has allowed anything to happen without an active CBA. So that's why you you started to see many more lockouts in sports when in the past there were more sort of player strikes. Uh, Is it his fault? I mean, look, the negotiations haven't gone well. They've been very slow. The owners, after the lockout, waited six weeks before even going to the players to talk at all. I don't know if that necessarily is 100% Rob Manfred's fault, but the reality, this is his industry. He's the commissioner of it. And while, in reality, his job is to represent the owners to many fans, his job will always be to represent the interests of baseball as an institution. And clearly, those interests are not being looked out for at this moment. 
Again, we're talking with Jared Diamond, who covers Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. You can follow him on Twitter at Jared Diamond. He's joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. So, Jared, it, the, the problem for me feels like that we haven't even seen the needle move on the mm-hmm. owner's side. We've seen the, the needle move at least a little bit on the player's side in terms of willing to take some sacrifices. But the fact that the owners really haven't budged at all, does that bring you to the concern of we might not see the season start on time? There's certainly a chance we don't see the season start on time. And it is interesting. On the one hand, mostly what we've seen to me at this point from both sides really is the sort of slow dropping of proposals that were obvious non-starters and both sides have had those proposals. Uh, Clearly, you know, major structural changes to how free agency worked that the players had proposed were very obviously never going to be accepted. And most of those proposals have been removed from the table. The same on the owner's side, they've removed most of their super radical proposals. One thing the owners have done, and I'm not here to give anybody credit, it's just a fact. One thing the owners have done that I would argue is a move is agreeing in principle to the idea of this pre-arbitration bonus pool that the players have been seeking. That's a pretty big change. That's a bonus pool that will be paid from central revenues. There's never been anything like it. It's completely new money that would go to the players. It's not taking from one group of players to then just redistribute to another. The problem, of course, is that the players are asking for $100 million and the owners have asked have offered 10 So uh, it, you're, you're on different planets. Uh, but at least they sort of agreed on the concept. So you kind of could see a way there's a deal to be made there. Maybe, but look, the owners have been very steadfast that they don't want to move on just about anything. And the reason for that is they're very happy with the status quo. The players have a lot of ass. They want change. The owners don't really want change. I don't know if they would admit this publicly. I'm sure they wouldn't. But if the players went to this meeting and said, hey, let's just extend the next CBA for five, the last CBA for five years. Everything stays the same. The owners would jump all over that. But if the owners proposed that to the players, they would laugh them out of the room. Uh, in the way, that's sort of the problem, right, is that the players want a lot more than the owners want. There isn't sort of that many places where the players could sort of give to get, which is generally how things work in these negotiations. Jerry, we've been talking about you know the possibility that they may miss opening day. How much time do you think they could miss if this continues to extend? Are, you, are we talking about just maybe a week or two into the regular season, or do you think it's even possible we miss more than that, maybe like the first month? It's impossible to know, and I think anyone that says that, oh, there's no way we're going to miss more than two weeks, there's no way we're going to miss more than a month. They don't know. They're lying. I'm not saying that it's going to happen. No, gun to my head. I still believe they're going to find a way to work this out in, in such a way that they can at least play 162 games. I still want to believe that. But if you told me right now, hey, they're not, they're going to miss the first half of the season. They're not going to play till June. I wouldn't say that's impossible, just the way things have gone. Uh, the good news is, I suppose, is that deadlines do have a way of inspiring you know, more rapid negotiation. I think it's safe to say that nobody here has really viewed the start of spring training as a real quote-unquote deadline, right? If they did, they'd be sort of negotiating faster. But I think once we start getting to a place where people are losing money, that has a way of getting people to the table. Players don't start getting paid until opening day. 
you know, owners make some money with grapefruit and cactus league games, but nothing like they do in the regular season. Once checks start being lost and that money is not coming in, that was supposed to come in. I want to believe that's going to change things. The problem is we're still almost two months away or seven weeks away from that actually being a reality. Jared, final one I wanted to ask you about, and this is one that that, uh, Tanner and I talked about a couple of days ago. If this does take away games in the regular season, which it does seem like is very likely right now, how much is this going to affect the fan base? Because it seems like when you get a lockout or when you get a strike, the fans start to get really disappointed in these arguments back and forth. And I just wonder if this is going to take a massive blow for baseball in terms of kind of repercussions that carry over into the regular season. Yeah, I hope maybe the people involved here in Major League Baseball are paying attention to this because the reality is things are a lot different for baseball than they were in 1994. In 1994, baseball was extremely popular in the United States. It was it was a huge, huge industry. It still is a huge industry, but it was far more popular than it, in 1994 than it is now. And still, baseball took a big hit. I think the problem that baseball might see if they don't get this done is not anger, but just apathy. Mm-hmm. People not caring because they're, they'll just say, all right, well, you know, we went without baseball for much of the 2020 season and there's a new summer football league starting this year and there's really a lot of great stuff on hbo max these days and netflix and do i really need this in my life Uh, and i think even a lot of people who identify as baseball fans i think some of them might be surprised how easy it is for them to not have it and again the fact that we didn't have it for quite a few months in 2020 I think it's proof of that. The world kept spinning without baseball. And I hope Major League Baseball realizes that it can't afford to allow people to feel that way. It is not popular enough, especially among younger people. And for Rob Manfred, who has that Rob Manfred before, for him to oversee two shortened seasons during his tenure, uh, you know, one of which in 2020, you could argue, certainly was not completely his fault. It was the start of the pandemic. But there's many people that believe they should have played more than 60 games that year. And now we're looking maybe at a shorter season this year. I do think that's going to really impact his legacy uh, as commissioner. That's not, I'm sure there's a, something in the back of his mind telling him to not be that guy that has a 60-game season and then two years later have an 120 or 100 or whatever game And at least I hope there's a part of his mind that's thinking that. He's Jared Diamond. He covers Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Jared Diamond. Jared, we always appreciate the time, man. Hopefully we'll be talking some good news in these negotiations in the next couple of weeks. But uh, always enjoy the time, my friend. I hope so. I'm going to the Super Bowl. So I'm coming to the Super Bowl. So that's where my focus is right now. At least they're playing sports. Smart man. Smart man. Focus (laughs) on the stuff that we actually can enjoy rather than all the negativity. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks (laughs) Thanks so much, Jared. There you go. Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. And that's the part that that I stand with, T-Bone, is I I think when there's a legacy, when you go to Rob Manfred, it's that right there. The fact that you've already had a shortened season, which you couldn't control with the pandemic, but you could have played more than the games that they did. But you know where you are at now. You know that the NHL has found ways to continue to play. NBA has found continued ways to play. So has the NFL. You have other sports leagues that are jumping into play. Major League Baseball is not going to be able to keep those fans' interest there, and Manfred is going to be the cause of that because he's not trying to light a fire underneath these negotiations. 
Yeah, I think Rob Manfred, I thought that was a good point by Jared Diamond bringing up kind of his legacy because there's a lot of negative that has been brought on to him in his legacy. Now, I don't sure, really know if there's been a positive with him. Well, I, I think revenue will be the big one for him. I mean, ever, let's be honest, though, every commissioner can kind of point at yeah, that. Yeah, of course. But he'll be in charge more than likely of potential expansion. There's been talks of Major League Baseball getting involved into expansion going to 32 teams. But you have the Houston Astros scandal, which a lot of people viewed as he didn't handle that properly, didn't handle the... Uh, didn't provide a severity of the punishment for that. You've got the 60-game schedule, as you mentioned. And, again, I, I agree with Jared. I don't think baseball can afford to have two shortened seasons in a matter of a three-year span. That just seems ridiculous in my point of view. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's get out of the disappointing news and talk more hockey because the Blues are back at it on Thursday. They just wrapped up practice. We've got Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic in studio for the rest of this hour. So we'll talk some hockey next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend, the athletic blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. He is back in action, although, of course, he was still in action during that time off. But now you're officially back in action. No, it's good. Yeah, it's good to be back uh, writing on a regular basis and going to practice. That felt weird. Just got back from Centene watching the, the line combinations and uh, the guys who just got signed today. We'll talk about that. Robert Bortuzzo, uh, Logan Brown out there. Jordan Cairo, the fastest man in the world, was on the ice today. So, uh, yeah, fun to was be out Was it like a blur out there? I couldn't even you see, see the flames wow. coming off of the skate a little bit. <laughs> Connor McDavid, who yeah. right now in the NHL. I heard a story that uh, I guess some guys were skating yesterday. You know, they're trying to get back into the, the swing of things. And Robert Thomas, uh, you know, Jordan Cairo, David Perron were out there. And, and they were, of course, you expect this when you get back from Vegas and you're the fastest skater. But they were ribbing them, saying, come on, show us, show us, show us. Well, then a few players, like, created a wall and got in front of him <laughs> and blocked him and then Perron skated across the finish line and, and said hey I won I won there you go so now he's officially beaten the fastest skater on the ice let's start there though JR I mean what a uh, what a showcase for Jordan Cairo in that weekend we talked about it yesterday and I don't know if he'll ever get to the superstar status but you definitely are starting to trend in that direction when you think about one he's a point per game player for the Blues two he sets a record for most points or ties most points at the Winter Classic. Then he wins the fastest skater competition, which it's not just he beat Connor McDavid. He beat Kale McCarr. He beat Dylan Larkin. He beat Adrian Kempe. A lot of fast skaters. And then on top of it, he scores five points in two all-star games. Like, all of these things are just continuing to put Jordan Cairo on the map. Yeah, that's the thing, Alex. And, and that's what I was thinking about as he won that fastest skater competition. You know, you got your phone and you can tweet, hey, he won the fastest skater. But, you know, what does this mean? And, and I, I remember sitting there, you know, with my phone in my hand and I thought, you know, big picture. Look what this guy's done this year. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing team leading 17 goals, 42 points. Okay. Amazing. Like he has taken that step. And then all of a sudden, you know, four points at the Winter Classic. He's the star. Everybody's talking about him. And then to to beat the McCarr, to beat the uh, Connor McDavid. You know, I did a story last week on Jordan Cairo where I talked to the blue skating coach, uh, John Stanbrook, and he's texting me right after Cairo wins. And he's like, oh, baby, you know, he's <laughs> he's going nuts. And he's he's got pictures. You know, he, he records the fastest skater. 
He's got still frames, and he's sending me these pictures on my text, and he's saying, look at that stride. Look at that separation, you know, that he has here. And, and that's what he kind of pointed out in the article last week that makes Jordan Cairo, along with his you know, God-given talent uh, so fast. And so it has been an unbelievable year for Kairou. Jordan Kairou's parents couldn't have drawn it up like this. I mean, it, it's just, it was so much fun to watch that moment because, I mean, as long as I've been a Blues fan and you've been covering the team longer, I've never seen somebody that fast in the Blues organization to to have that speed and to being talked about as the fastest skater in the National Hockey League. And, you know, we talked yesterday of this guy being the potential one that looks at an extension this offseason, Doug Armstrong with... Him being an RFA after next year, Thomas being an RFA after next year. He's got a lot of big tasks in the next couple of seasons with this Blues team. But then we find the news earlier today, Robert Bortuzzo getting the two-year contract extension, Logan Brown getting the one-year, one-way contract extension. I know people will look at it and be like, well, what do these matter? But this is kind of the this is the checklist stuff that Doug Armstrong can mark off and say, okay, we got these guys under contract. Like Logan Brown now next year is one of 10 guys under contract with one way deals as a forward for the blues. Now, Robert Portuzo, where you got four guys under contract at the defensive side. So this makes the most sense. And you at least cross these off if you're Doug Armstrong. Yeah, this, this is kind of homework stuff for Doug Armstrong. And these are, you know, with Robert Bortuzzo, I tweeted at Alex, you know, I said, I like this signing, you know, uh, I, I realize maybe some people look at Bortuzzo, they turn the game on at seven o'clock and see that he's a sixth, seventh defenseman. Uh, but this is a guy who's gives it everything on the ice. And then, you hate to say more importantly, you know, because on ice matters, but in the locker room, yeah. you know, with the team, he is such a chemistry guy. And so to me, it makes sense. And look, you know, in a year, two years, he could be your seventh guy. And that's still not a bad price. Like a Carl Gunnarsson. Yeah. If he's in and out of the lineup. Uh, and then with Logan Brown, to me, the biggest thing is the salary cap. You know, is it going to be 81.5? Does it go up a million, you know, to 82.5? You're, you're a team that's up against the cap. You got a lot of questions coming up, like with David Prawn and, you know, what's going to happen with Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, so on and so forth. And in the meantime, you got a guy who can play in the NHL for 750000 on a one-way. You know, he, he's got some work to do, Logan Brown, but I think that he deserves the one-way, and I think that he can be a decent player for you in that bottom six. What's interesting about that signing, too, and T-Bone and I talked about this. I mean, we've heard Doug Armstrong and Craig Bruby say about Brown this season that he's not a fourth-line player. Like, we're, we're, if, if he's going to play, he's going to play in our top nine, which is why we haven't seen him play in these last few games. To sign him to a one-year, one-way contract... One, it provides protection to where, you know, if you do trade Vladimir Tarasenko or if you can't bring Perron back, you have this player. But it does create some interesting speculation of what do these forward groups look like next season? Because David Perron is an unrestricted free agent. And if Logan Brown's here and they expect him to be a top nine forward, does he make Perron expendable? Yeah, to me, uh, it's it's a little bit different classification, uh, and I know what you're saying, but I think, uh, you know, the Tarasenko thing is going to play itself out, right? And do they bring Prawn back? You know, I think that's very possible, Alex. I, I think that, you know, in writing that story a few weeks ago about Prawn's situation, I think he'd come back at a very reasonable yeah. deal. And so, you know, Logan Brown, in the meantime, he's a guy, look, Tyler Bozak probably, you know, won't be back potentially. I, I realize he's a fourth-line guy, and they've said that Logan Brown isn't a fourth-line guy, but they'll find they'll find room for him. It's just you're going to need guys like that, and you're going to need relatively inexpensive contracts to put this team together. And Doug Armstrong, as we've seen him do before, he's just kind of putting the pieces together right now. And, you know, you know why sign Robert Bortuzzo on a 
Tuesday in February because you can get this done, and then now that's going to allow you to, to know what you have moving forward. I think what's interesting, too, is Bortuzzo signs that, and, and Scotty Upshaw was the one that tweeted out uh, basically saying today like he would have gotten more money on the open market. He said, if you don't believe me, go ask the Edmonton Oilers or the Toronto Maple Leafs if they need a guy like that. And he probably would have got more than 950000 a year with, with somebody other than the Blues. But that ties into David Perron because Perron might not be getting $4 million like he did. He probably could get it on the open market, but Doug Armstrong has got a track record of, of getting guys to reasonable contracts like the Colton Pareko, the Justin Falks, the Tory Krugs, which keeps this core intact, whereas you compare it to other teams where they have to overpay for people and they put themselves into a bind. Yeah, and I think with David Perron, look, he's coming off the four times four, so he's making $4 million, and now he's going to be in his mid-30s. Look, that first year of a new deal, you know, if it were here in St. Louis, he's going to be uh, mid-30s. So I think it's a situation where he knows that. You look at the lines today, third line, whatever you want to call them, first, second, third, doesn't really matter. But David Perron knows that Jordan Cairo and the Robert Thomases and these guys are stepping up. Look, if anybody knows it, it's David Prawn, right? right? Remember when he did it, 19 years old, and all of a sudden you start talking about some of those veterans are going to be pushed out because of the skill level. Keith of, Kachuk sliding down yeah, a couple lines. Because of a Perron, a Oshi, a mm-hmm. Berglund, so on and so forth. And and so he gets it. Uh, you know, if 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 you believe, you know, David Prom wants to stay in St. Louis, and, and I think he does, you know, you're probably looking, if they can work it out, a couple-year deal at a decent salary. And, and to me, look, if you can have David Prom on your third line, I think he still has enough to be able to contribute in that area. He's Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. He's with us here in studio uh, talking a little blues hockey. And uh, I have never made a crazy bold prediction on the radio at all. JR decided to go back and look at some of his crazy bold predictions from the beginning of the season. So we're going to get into those coming up next. We will not discuss Hall and Oates, T-Bone, so don't even bring it up. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I like to think that myself and BK, you know, we make predictions, but they're usually generally mild temperature, and sometimes they're spot on, right, T-Bone? Your bold prediction was Jordan Kyra is going to be better than Vladimir Tarasenko. I haven't seen that pan out yet. Nailed it. (laughs) Just because he's faster than Tarasenko doesn't mean he's better than Tarasenko. I got Better than Vladimir. I got the, uh, the, well, I got the oats part down. I just... Got the whole part down. <laughs> anyway, we got Jeremy Rutherford yeah, of The Athletic in studio with us. And I bring up the bold predictions because that's JR's most recent piece on The Athletic. And if you don't subscribe, you need to subscribe, not just for Blues content, but for Cardinals content as well. Phenomenal stuff from Jeremy Rutherford and Katie Wu. But JR went back on the 10 bold predictions that you had in preseason. And I got to say, JR, I was pretty impressed because a lot of those bold predictions panned out. Well, well, well. You start out with uh, Jake Neighbors is going to stay for the whole season. Oh, you were close. You were close. <laughs> you were very you close. Like a, what's the opposite of a ding button? You got something. Over oh, there. Yeah, I got the wrong. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we got plenty of those. Yeah, there you go. Hear those all the time. Yeah. So no, that looked like right. Remember, it yeah. looked promising. Hey, I thought he was going to be here. I told BK that it'd be crazy to move him on because everyone loved having Jake Neighbors around. Yeah. So out of all of them, I kind of thought that I was going to get that one right, but uh, but we didn't. But yeah, just to go over a few of these, Vladimir Tarasenko will play the whole season. I just felt at the start of the year when I wrote that article, guys, that uh, if, it, if he was still there at that point, 
it was probably going to be something that's done next offseason. So yeah. it didn't seem like going out on a limb to say that Tarasenko uh, was going to be here. But you look at the season he's had, I don't think anybody could have could have pictured that. 40 points. He's been really good. Clem Costin will struggle to find his footing. You know, I wrote in the story here that... That I was remember, the big one. I remember sitting in the press box in Arizona uh, in October, and he scores two goals within like four minutes. <laughs> that like, was oh, the second game of the season, too, his wasn't first. it? His first. His game first game of the season. I remember they scored like five yeah. goals in two minutes. or what? And so I think, uh, well, I'm going to get that one wrong, <laughs> but he hasn't scored since. And listen, that's not a knock on him. He's playing nine and a half minutes a game on the you know, fourth line. Mm-hmm. He leads the team in hits. It's just I think he's still trying to, to, to find it a little bit. The Blues will have six 20-goal scorers, Alex, 